Hey everyone, my name is Alex and I'm the lead pastor here at Courtray Church. And you know, it's funny, ever since the pandemic started for us, I can't use language like that like I once did. It doesn't roll off my tongue as easily when I say we're at the church. Um, what is the church and where is the church? These are questions we've been asking ourselves because the church is not in here. I may be at the church building right now, but this room is empty and you are the church. We are the church together as the Holy Spirit calls us to be the body of Christ and forms us into the church. I know that this past week our youth had some online meetings that Rowena led. Rowena is our director of family ministries here at Courtright. And the junior youth group and the senior youth group were talking about what does it mean to be the church in these days when we're not able to be together physically. I think one of the ingredients to the Christian life at any time, whether facing adversity as we are right now or under happier circumstances, is that we need structure in our lives. We need to remember who we are. And one of the ways we do that is by the structure of weekly Sunday worship, by coming to this building and being together to worship God. Uh, but in these days of social distancing, we can still create structure by many of you who are watching this right now are doing that on Sunday morning at 10.15, our usual worship time. Others of you later in the week. Uh, we also can be the church and have the structure in our lives to remind ourselves of who we are as Christians by every day reading God's word. We have created daily devotionals Monday to Friday that the elders and staff have been writing and you may be on that list. If you're not, you're welcome to request that. And we send out those devotionals every morning. Some of you were already in the habit. Many of you were in the habit of reading the Bible to start your days. And I think more than ever, we need that now. In fact, somebody suggested to me that maybe we should be double dipping in our devotions, that we could start the day with whatever we've been using personally for reading scripture and prayer, and then later in the day, whether individually or with our family, with the people we may live with, we can use the Courtright Daily Devotional uh, because there's no question in these challenging times, a double dose of encouragement is exactly what I think we need. Another way that we are creating structure out of the chaos in a way our lives are currently experiencing with all of our normal routines disrupted, um, is that last Sunday in my sermon, I talked about these neighborhood groups that session and staff uh, came together to um, talk about and then agreed to implement. We're, we have now created eight neighborhood groups according to where you live in the city of Guelph, or if you're beyond the city, um, we put you to the nearest group. Uh, those are based on the municipal ward boundaries in Guelph. There are only six wards, but we have eight groups. And six of those eight groups met this past week, most of them on Wednesday night, and there were 100 people who gathered online, and that created the kind of structure in their lives. And I know it was very encouraging for those who took part. So if you're not on any of those lists, um, you're welcome to join in. Let us know by contacting Amanda at office at coreradechurch.org. 
The structure of Holy Week is another way that we remember who we are in Christ. And today is Palm Sunday. Today is the beginning of Holy Week. And on Palm Sunday, we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and the days that led up to the cross. On Maundy Thursday, uh, we remember Jesus washing the feet of his disciples in the Last Supper. Uh, we're going to be providing you with resources to reflect on that individually or together with your family or with your roommates. Uh, and then on Friday morning, we will meet online for our Good Friday service when we reflect on the death of Christ and we look forward beyond that to Easter Sunday morning. So there's a structure to that to this whole week as well. Sometimes we refer to it as Passion Week. Um, Holy Week is probably more common, but Passion Week, Passion means suffering. And so we follow Jesus through uh, his week in Jerusalem, his final days, his suffering. Uh, and we look to Easter at the end of the week. Today we are, again, as we did last week, choosing a different passage of the Bible from the one we had planned to preach on and to focus on this morning. Uh, we wanted to find um, a way to reflect on this pandemic we're going through in our current circumstances. And we're going to do that by looking at John 11, not at the traditional passage of Jesus entering Jerusalem, which has already been read in this service. We're going today to look at Jesus and the death of his friend Lazarus. And the context for this passage is that in John 10, Jesus uh, has been um, threatened. Uh, his enemies were picking up stones to throw at him, to kill him, and he left with his disciples and retreated to safety. Uh, Bethany, where he was, was is quite close to Jerusalem. And, but then from a distance, from where the place he retreated to, he hears that his friend Lazarus is sick and he waits for a couple of days. And then uh, he, we're not sure exactly why he waited, but he arrives in Bethany uh, with the disciples. And by that time, um, Lazarus's sickness uh, has progressed and Lazarus has died. And that's where we pick up the story in John 11, starting at verse 17. So let's pray before we read that passage. Holy Spirit, we ask you today to come and to encourage us through the reading of your word. I pray that as you always do, you would focus us on Jesus. I pray that you would remind us of the things that matter in our lives, um, that you would comfort us in our sorrow and reassure us in our, our fears today. Um, bring us back into the light, shine your light into whatever circumstances we're facing individually. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we're reading John 11, verses 17 to 44. On his arrival in Bethany, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Mary answered, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. 
And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Mary had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews, who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, yeah, sure, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? They took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, a few days ago, my son Callum and I were sitting at a table. We both had our laptops open and we were doing some work. Out of the blue, Callum says to me, I miss hockey. It's true. Those of us who are hockey fans miss it. I miss it. I know I do. And this weekend would actually have been the end of the regular season in the NHL. And I'm sure the Leafs would have beaten the Habs in their final game and then gone on to playoff victory after playoff victory on their way to winning the Stanley Cup. We all know that's true, don't we? Okay, so it's possible that I'm living in my own little fantasy world. And if I remember, though I'd rather not, the regular season the Leafs were having, it was full of ups and downs, and to be honest, it was pretty disappointing based on our expectations. But in a way, that's what sports help us to do. They create a little fantasy world for us. We can enjoy them the way we enjoy entertainment. Uh, it's a way of taking a moment away from the reality of our lives, the difficult things. And yet, this pandemic we're in the middle of has put an end to a lot of those distractions and diversions that we once enjoyed. About a month ago, just before the NBA canceled its season first and then the NHL followed suit, I think maybe it's still a postponement they're talking about, I heard an interview with Mark Scheifele, the captain of the Winnipeg Jets, and actually a local boy from Kitchener. 
uh, he was talking about how the Jets were fighting for their lives. That's the expression he used. And he meant they were fighting for their playoff lives. They were competing for a playoff spot. And, and yet he used that language. He said they were fighting for their lives. It was as if as soon as he said it, a light went on because it was right at the time that the, the coronavirus threat was becoming really clear and coming home to us in North America. So he backtracked and he said that hockey isn't so important. It's not really life. They weren't really fighting for their lives. And he said that all these things like sports and the other things, the things that we enjoy but are really less significant things, had been put in their proper place by the threat of COVID-19. I think we have an opportunity this morning to ask ourselves that question. What is most significant about life? Where is your life? What is the source of hope in your life? And today we're going to explore that by focusing on how Jesus responds to the death of a friend here in John 11. And it's a question that has become urgent for us as we're in the grip of this pandemic and as we see the suffering increase around us and especially other parts of the world. I also want to dedicate this sermon to Norm Beer, who died two weeks ago, and to Doreen, his wife, and to Tony and Carolyn and Hannah and Viv and their whole family. It's hard that we can't be together. Uh, we love you guys and we're thinking of you constantly and praying for you. We wish we could gather to celebrate Norm's life and to mourn his loss. And so this message this morning is for the beers most of all, and for all of you who have lost loved ones, including Bill and Dale Klein, who I spent some time with on the phone last night after Bill's sister passed away this past Wednesday. And we'll be praying for you later in the service. Here in John 11, in the face of death, we see Jesus point us towards three things. The first is that Jesus offers truth. The second thing is that Jesus weeps, he cries tears. And the third is that he expresses his anger. So I want to say that these are three Christian responses to death and suffering. Truth, tears, and anger. And all of them point to new life, to life beyond death. So when Jesus arrives in Bethany, he encounters Martha and Mary, the two sisters of Lazarus. First Mary goes out to him and then Martha, but both of them say exactly the same thing to Jesus. They say, Lord, if you'd been here, our brother would not have died. Jesus responds differently to each one of them. To Martha, who he encounters first, he speaks truth. Martha is the kind of person who didn't mince words, and so she says directly to Jesus that if you'd been here, and you can tell she's, she's frustrated, she's taking him to task, she says, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's showing her faith in Christ, but she's angry, I think. Jesus replies to her, he, he answers her by saying, your brother will rise again. Now, some background here might help you understand their exchange. Jesus is referring to the Jewish view of resurrection. Most Jews of that day believed in the resurrection of the dead in the last days when the Messiah would come at the end of time. And today, still, devout Jews believe that. Uh, 
Now Martha, in this encounter, seems to have assumed that Jesus was pointing out the correct way of thinking about her brother's death. But it seems to me that the brevity of her response, all she says is, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, suggests that the mere knowledge of that theological truth is empty for her. It's not helping her. We can relate to that. One of the questions I hear the most from people when I sit down for a cup of coffee with them, uh, when I've done that with you, members of the congregation, or more recently, when I've talked on the phone with you, a question I often hear is, is how can I have more faith? How can I have more peace, more hope in my life? Because we don't always feel that. We have doubts, we feel anxiety a lot of the time, and we sing songs on Sunday morning and we profess faith, but to echo the question that Jesus asks, do we really believe it? Now Jesus responds to us and here to Martha in a way that defies expectations. He simply says, I am the resurrection and the life. And as he says that, he's offering himself personally as the source of hope and the promise of new life, not some correct view of eternal life, of, of life after death, of resurrection. And Jesus would have astonished his followers, all there who, who would have heard him say that, by using these words, I am, by taking on the personal name for God. The Hebrew equivalent is Yahweh, the great I am of the Old Testament. And he does this throughout John's Gospel. If you turn back one page to chapter 10, you'll see that Jesus there says, I am the Good Shepherd. I think what Jesus is really getting at here is that even if you have the right view of the resurrection, uh, it's not enough. He's saying that is a place to start, but then look at me, at who I am. He's saying, he is the victory and power over death. He's saying that he will be with us always. And what's important here is the focus on Jesus, on, on him personally. And faith is a gift that comes from him as we, as we do look to him for it. He gives us the hope we need. He gives us the personal knowledge, the confidence that he is with us through every dark valley we're going to travel through in our lives, even death itself and that he will see us through, that he will never leave us or forsake us. But the next question is, if, if all that's true, if Jesus is the resurrection, which is good news, why does he weep? Why is that the next thing that happens? So Mary arrives and asks Jesus the same question that her sister did. And in her case, he doesn't say anything to comfort her. He doesn't offer her truth like he did to Martha. Instead, we read that Jesus was deeply moved and that he wept. Why would he cry? I think that may be one of the most powerful verses in the whole Bible. Famously, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but every time I read that, it takes my breath away. Because Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew he was going to turn their mourning, their weeping to joy, but instead he stops and he chooses to share in their sorrow. 
And Jesus, the message here for all of us is that Jesus entered into our world and he really felt what we feel. He experienced the pain that we go through, the suffering. And so Jesus offers Martha truth and he offers Mary tears. And we need both. We need truth and we need tears. When Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, he's telling us that he's truly God, that he is the one we've been waiting for, that he can help us, he can save us from our sins, he can rescue us from death, and he can do that where no one else can. He is El Shaddai, is uh, one of the names for God in the Old Testament. God Almighty, the creator of the universe. He has that kind of power. He holds everything together. And with his tears, Jesus shows us that he has come close. He left his heavenly throne, his, his position of power and glory, and he came close to us into the dark valleys of our lives. And he travels them with us. He is a man of sorrows, and he weeps with us. This past week, I came across the story of a doctor in Brooklyn, a doctor by the name of Mert Aragul, who works at Maimonides Hospital in New York City. And he wrote about an experience he had. I'm going to read you uh, from the tweet he sent out. He, he writes, So today in the middle of all the madness, there was a 100-year-old Hasidic Jewish lady with COVID pneumonia, and I was desperate to send her home so she wouldn't die in the hospital. But her blood pressure dropped and we had to keep her in. And then for an hour, her son kept calling me to find out how she was, and I finally told him, look, she's 100 years old with pneumonia in both lungs, it's not good, she's not going to do well. And then he wanted to talk to her. And I said, you can't, I'm too busy. And then the son called back 10 minutes later and I said, listen, sir, your, your mother is not conscious anymore. And he said, that's okay. It's very important that I say a prayer for her and with her anyway. Could you hold the speaker up to her ear? And this doctor, he writes, he says, I had 10 other pressing things to do, but I stopped what I was doing out of respect for this 100-year-old woman, and I put the, the cell on speakerphone, and I told him to talk. He started the prayer of the dead, and he began to cry and could barely get the words out. And then I saw that she had numbers tattooed on her arm. And I listened as... He was crying for his mother and praying the Shema, um, an ancient Hebrew prayer, the verses of unity, and it woke up some emotion in me that I had forgotten about, writes this doctor. Time slowed down in that moment, and I felt restored to myself. When he was done, this son praying for his mother, he thanked me and blessed me, and I said thank you to him. When I first read that story, I cried too. It woke some emotion in me as well. I don't know how you've been holding it together through this crisis. I know that I've felt pressure, that, that weight of needing to hold things together for my family, especially for my parents. My, my mother is sick right now. My parents are both in their 80s, they're at risk. And I felt the stress of that. I'm willing to bet you felt a similar stress whatever you're going through. But God gives us tears as a gift, and I've cried more in the last three weeks than I can ever remember crying in my entire life. 
And I think the Holy Spirit uses those emotions when you feel those emotions welling up with you, sometimes without warning, they come up and I want to encourage you to let them come, not to hold them down, to push them down, but here we see Jesus crying and so we see God saying that tears are good, that he's given us tears as a gift. And the best thing we can do for those people we know who are suffering right now, whether it's the grief of losing a loved one or some other form of adversity they're in the middle of, is to come alongside them and to weep with them, to be present, not to say anything necessarily. Some of us have a hard time being quiet, but that presence, that weeping alongside a friend that we can offer is the most important thing we can do. And as we do it, we're doing what Jesus did also. But Jesus is angry too. From the truth he offers Martha, through the tears he sheds with Mary, we come into his rage. In verse 33, it says that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I like the New Living Translation's version of that better which says that when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. God hates suffering and death, and God hates sin, which is the source of death. Let me be very clear that God, most of all, hates this pandemic. He hates the suffering it's causing. He hates the death it's causing. He hates everything about it. The Greek word here used to describe Jesus as deeply moved in spirit is incredibly strong. It refers to the bellowing of an enraged animal. There's an elemental fury that Jesus is experiencing right there in that moment. And it's the wrath of God against anything that would come and take us away from him. Now, in our culture, we tend to deny death. We're afraid of death and we pretend it's not there or we pretend that death is only natural and even beautiful. It's just the final stage of life. But I think that deep down we know that death isn't our friend. The Bible says, first of all, that death is an enemy. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes about death and calls death the last enemy. The anger of Jesus here is directed at death itself and also at the one who is behind it, the one with the power of death, the devil who has come into the world to lie and to destroy. I love the way John Calvin puts this in his commentary. He describes Jesus as Jesus moves towards the tomb of Lazarus. He says that Jesus advanced to the tomb as a champion preparing for battle. And so Jesus proceeds to call Lazarus by name. He walks to that tomb and he calls out his friend's name and Lazarus emerges from the tomb alive. And so Jesus defeats death. Jesus proves that he is the resurrection and the life. Paul later in that same passage in 1 Corinthians asks questions as though he's talking to death. He says, hey death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory now? It's like he's making fun of death. He's having a laugh at death's expense. And so the worst thing that 
can happen to a Christian just gives us more glory. Christians can look death right in the eye and say, death, do your worst. And if you do it, you will only make me better than I was before. But do we feel that? Let's look at verse 25 one more time where Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Then he says, the one who believes in me will live and even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? And so we return to this issue of faith because let's be honest, we fear death too. We're anxious and worried about lots of things, especially today. This is the beginning of Holy Week for Christians and Jews, for their part, start Passover on Wednesday night. During Passover, the Jewish people remember the exodus from Egypt. You might recall that when Pharaoh set the Israelites free, released them from slavery in Egypt, they set out on their long journey to the Promised Land and they, were, they came up to the Red Sea when they saw the Egyptian chariots coming after them. Pharaoh had changed his mind and he was sending his powerful, invincible army to get them back, to return them to slavery. And they must have been incredibly afraid to see that coming for them. But God intervenes. God uses Moses to part the Red Sea. He does this miracle and he makes a way for his people to continue on to freedom. And I'm inviting you to imagine that scene with me. The Jewish people, God's chosen people, crossing the Red Sea, walking past this towering wall of water on their right-hand side and another wall, huge wall of water on their left. And they're walking on dry land. As they did that, maybe some of them were at peace about it. They felt safe. They trusted God completely. But I'm sure a lot of them went through with an incredible amount of doubt and anxiety. They were freaking out on the inside. And I would imagine them saying over and over to themselves, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm definitely going to die. But what matters is that every one of them, those with strong faith, those with really weak faith, and lots of doubts and questions, all of them equally were saved. It wasn't the quality of their faith that saved them. It was the object of their faith. It was God himself who saved them. And so Jesus says, look to me, because I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I will rescue you from whatever threatens you. And he invites us, he invites you today to put your trust in him, to cross over from death to eternal life. Not by living a good life, not by trying really hard and mustering all the faith you can, but by hearing what he says to you, which is quite simply that he loves you. He wants the best for you. He delights in you that he will protect you, he will watch over you and your family, that nothing can ever separate you from his love. The Beer family has given me permission to tell this story. It, it was one just over a week ago that, that they were, uh, they gathered at 
Norman Doreen's home in the south of Guelph, in the south end, and and it was the final hours of Norm's life, and um, uh, I had had a chance to to talk to Norm on the phone and to pray with him earlier, but because of social distancing, there was there were restrictions, of course, on who could be with Norm, but that they were there, the immediate family were there, and 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 they were sad. They they knew what was coming. They saw it, but but. Tony described for me the incredible joy that they felt. Um, somebody on our church's prayer chain uh, prayed that the air would be thick with the Holy Spirit for them as a family. And, and God, God answered that prayer. Um, they were worshiping together. They were singing. Um, they felt a joy and a peace together, um, a gratitude for Norm in his life. And it was as though they were seeing Norm off into glory. You know, Jesus asks this question. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And, and Norm believed and Norm was ready. He saw the glory of God and he is with our Lord Jesus right now. And it was as if the family um, saw him crossing over to the other side. They saw, it was as if they saw heaven opened up and the glory and the beauty of that moment <laughs> and, the, and the joy of it is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus for every one of us in the face of all our fears and ultimately the fear of death. Jesus says, I am with you. Nothing can separate you from me and my love. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Would you run to him? Would you trust him? And would you receive his everlasting love? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. He offers us new life here and now. He offers us abundant life and he offers us the hope of life eternal, the hope of heaven. He has defeated death, and Lord, I pray that you would give us that hope in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of all those right now who are facing suffering and uh, uncertainty and adversity, um, major challenges, and that's so many more of us than it used to be. Lord, uh, I pray that you would be with the Beer family, and we'll pray for them. Allison will more in a few minutes, but right now I, I want to lift up Dale and Bill Klein to you, especially tomorrow as they gather to celebrate the life of Bill's sister Pat and to mourn her loss. And Lord, I pray you'd surround them with your love, that you would comfort them, Holy Spirit, um, in their grief. And I pray for all of us that, that we would know your comfort and your presence your guidance, that you would dispel our fears, that you would fill us with all your goodness, Holy Spirit, and that you would draw us into your light. There's a lot of darkness in the world right now, and, and we pray, Lord, that you would shine your light into every corner that is in darkness, that people would know that, Jesus, you are the only one who offers eternal life and love that lasts forever, and we thank you so much for that. In your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.